Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. It's another pleasing performance for the Potters as the runaway Man United train is halted in its tracks by Eric Choo Choo Pomoting. The result is just the ticket for Mark Hughes, who again faces questions about how he conducts himself. But surely the 2-2 draw is a great platform on which to build. Don't change the station. I'll run out of steam with these puns soon. (laughs) Ben Cartwright has once again gone missing, which means pretty soon Jose Mourinho will will come in with an £80 million bid for him. So, So for this episode, it's just me and Chris Brammer. Oh, hello there, Dave. How are you? I'm very well. Did you like my train puns? Oh, I. Oh, if anything, I wish there was more train puns in this podcast. <laughs> yes, they were very good. Well done. Thank you. Um, uh, before we just dive into the Man United game, we'll have our usual three-word responses. Uh, some selected ones here: Ace Booth and Mentals, uh, We're Great Again, Chupozuma Dance. Fletcher trumps Pogba, proper Stoke performance, Butland number one, well-deserved point, Shakiri the ar- architect, Zuma is life, and I'll take it. Chris, will you take that? Oh, definitely. Most, most definitely. And I do agree with the other one that Zuma is life. Um, uh, because he... Oh, my goodness me. I, I said it yesterday that I'm going to be really sad when we have to give him back. Because he is, oh, he's superb. But do you know what? The whole team yesterday, it it was a very, very gutsy performance. And I know that we've often um, laughed a little bit at people who, or, or, you know, the idea that, oh, passion and grit and like those ambient terms that kind of mean nothing, but also mean something. But, but we did show passion and grit because yesterday I thought it was telling that we went, obviously we took the lead, then... Stoke typically concede from a corner. Um, And then for United to take the lead and for Stoke to keep fighting, I thought that was very, very different from, say, if we'd done the same last year, where you know it would have ended in a a 4-1 defeat. Um, I thought, as a team, that... I don't, I don't know about you, but it just feels like there is a bit more of an edge to this team. Not in terms of what we create chances-wise, but just in terms of... um, It's almost as if... Yes, the whole negative press over the summer has affected the team, but affected them in that positive way where Mark Hughes has pinned it up on a board and said, look what they're all saying about us. It's about time we solved it. And and it does, it just it just feels like we are we've got a little bit of an identity again and that we are we are trying our, our best and I, I again, I enjoyed the game yesterday. I really mm. enjoyed it. I and and I couldn't say the same for games last year. Um yeah, great great result really because this is a united team that people are expecting to go far and win the league or whatever and for us to to really test them i thought yeah very very proud very proud of us we we properly competed with them which was just such a major thing and is such a difference from last season i know we did draw twice in man united last season but in these games against the top clubs Mm -hmm. generally we didn't compete enough but you know what i i'd say as well it's also different from the arsenal game where because the arsenal game we were we were under pressure and defending Mm. i don't think we were doing that It, it didn't feel like as much against united that we were the smaller team fighting them off and you know that we we were getting scraps. You're right that we it felt like we were competing on the similar level to them. Yeah, granted that that they are the the better team in terms of personnel, but it certainly felt like it was they they were more even than perhaps we deserved to be or they should be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we, we didn't we didn't get lucky really at all. I thought I thought we were well worth the point. And contrary to what Mourinho said about playing defensively, which is just, you know, classic him. But I thought just all over the park, we just... I I completely agree. We've got an edge about us now. We've got something a bit... There's a bit of fire in our belly, we can tell. And I think that that's also the case with Mark Hughes as well. You could see it when he was getting so animated, when he's pushing Mourinho. And like, just (laughs) there's a kind of glint in his eye in his post-match interviews now that wasn't there last season. He seems to he seems to be up for it. Whether that's a reaction to, as you said, um, like the negative press of last season, or it's I don't know pressure from the board or something. Whatever it is, it's working at the moment. And there's a number of factors 
from this start of the season that just give you such cause for optimism. There's, like you said, the fact that we came from a goal down to equalise, which we also did against West Brom, which we wouldn't have done last season. There's the there's the fact that we've we've had four really tough fixtures to start the season. Now, I know West Brom got a bit of a, a bad result yesterday, but four really tough sides, and I could have easily foreseen us losing all four games, and we've got five points, which is just fantastic. And just the the way the new signing slot have slotted in has been superb. I mean, Darren Fletcher, again, I'm sure we'll talk about him later, just picking an absolute dream of a pass for our first goal and and filling in as captain and showing all the leadership qualities we've we kind of expected from him when when he joined. And like Kevin Vimmer, like he's our joint record signing. And like there was no fuss or fanfare no. with Kevin Vimmer when mm-hmm. he signed. He's just in there, bang, does a job. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a number of of good performances that we'll no no doubt go on to talk about. But just everything there was just like an edge, as you said. There was, a, a, we we weren't going to be pushed over, and that was that was true to the Arsenal game in a different way. It was like we're going to put put a wall up, and we're just not gonna, not going to be broken down. This was right. We've, we'll build on that, and we'll give Manu a game. We'll have a go at him, and we did that. And just full credit to Mark Hughes and the lads. Hmm. There's team spirit. I mean, that if you can simplify it, that's how it feels. Feels like there's te- there's team spirit, and it would be pure speculation. But part of me does wonder with some of the old guard moving out in the summer. I wonder if that is kind of a kick up the backside that some players have looked at it and thought, oh god, well these guys were stalwarts of the team. These were people you associated with Stoke City. If they can leave, if they're seen as surplus to requirement, if mm. they've been seen as I don't know, like part of the issues of last year. I mean, that's pure speculation, like, but then I don't know. It feels like I say, it just feels like we've got a bit of wind in our sails. And that that Arsenal result um, did us wonders because like you say, I think a loss from that game and it may have been a different story, but we certainly have a bit of confidence about us and a bit of a swagger. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah. We're far from, from perfect. Definitely. I think there are some, issues that we perhaps need to work on or or think of a different strategy for. But, like I said, these are four really tough games. We haven't played a shit team yet. Now, we are playing what I consider to be a pretty poor team next week. I know they won today, but that was also against a pretty poor team. So, if those games will be really telling in sort of how our season shapes up, really. These first few games against sides who... We should be beating. I know Newcastle's away from home and there's no kind of guarantee, but how we perform in those games uh, will say a lot about us, really. Um, just on the on the game itself then, uh, obviously the big selection 2pm panic was that Jeff Cameron started in the centre of defence ahead <laughs> of Bruno Martins Indy. Uh, Kevin Vimmer obviously came in for his debut. Ryan Shawcross was injured. Uh, can you explain that one? Um, the the only thing that that possibly crossed my mind was um, and I, I'm probably completely wrong was just more on how um, what what footed Jeff is because um, I don't know is Kevin Vimmer a right sided or left sided player? I don't, it was it was a it was purely a conversation I saw someone um talking about online beforehand that actually you know we were we had too many left-footed players or something in that back line and it was just to even it out um apart from that i don't i don't really know why um bruno wasn't selected all i can think is maybe jeff's good performance Mm. against arsenal was playing to it and obviously we want players to be rewarded for good performances but i also i'm surprised given just how good bruno was last season that he's not starting a game in that yeah i i I, yeah i imagine because mark hughes has always said that he's big on meritocracy and if players have played well that they deserve to keep their position so so maybe there's some some element of that and with bruno been a relatively new signing coming in in the last few weeks maybe it was a case of well jeff hasn't done anything to deserve being dropped um, 
very, very interesting then if that was the case that with Shawcross out, he didn't go for Bruno instead of Kevin Vimmer. But I mean, I, like it would, it, I don't have an answer for it. At the end of the day, Jeff went off halfway through and we, yeah. we saw that back three and it was successful. So I was surprised to see Jeff go off and, and he did make a couple of errors in the first half. I think there was one moment where he almost let Rashford in through on goal and I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. Jeff, you know what's going on. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I was surprised to see any player taken off at half time. Um but, you know, bold managerial change yeah. and, and you can argue it worked. You, you, well, from my understanding, it was that Jeff had picked up a slight knock. And okay. that he was... because and, and as well, he played in the international break and it, I think it was something like him and Antonio Valencia had clocked up the most miles in terms of travel distance travelled. Jeff um. had done something like 16,000 miles uh, <laughs> playing for the US over the last few weeks. So I my understanding was that he picked up a, a slight knock. Um, rather than it being you've been poor and replacing you at half time, um, I mean we'll have to wait for a report on that. But um, but yeah, it was it was a weird a weird selection. It would feel wrong for me to criticise because it didn't really it wasn't too much of an issue. Um, mm. Just just one of those things, I guess. Yeah, leaving aside those issues you talked about about guts and desire, which I agree were were big factors really i mean they can't not be when uh a team of our stature holds a team of man united stature but kind of what what was it kind of tactically that that meant we were able to get that point where do you think the game was was drawn from our perspective i i think i think that one of the big differences this season in in a whole compared to last season is i think the switch to a back 3 has made us much more solid at the back and I think it helps that we have Kurt Zuma there and Bruno when he's played and Kevin Vimmer yesterday who are all very very confident at having the ball at their feet they're very happy to play out from the back and that's kind of meant that when when teams have attacked us and we've got you know a little bit back to the wall defense wise we are more than happy to play and pass out um it was very interesting yesterday. I don't know if you have you seen any of Charlie Adams' interview on yes. BT Sport. Well, he seemed to suggest that they were targeting Paul Pogba as a weakness in the team, um, pressuring <laughs> him on the ball, that type of thing. I think it, it's a very, very interesting one because it's not like we are outnumbering players in midfield, but we just seem playing this system to be a lot more composed in the middle. Shakiri is dropping deeper. I thought Shakiri yesterday was a bit of an un- unsung hero because I, I thought, thought he was excellent. I yeah, was he excellent. he's he's definitely um coming across as that player who is he he's creating and he is making space and he yeah, it was he he, he wasn't um everywhere yesterday. He he wasn't doing the glamorous things getting on the end of balls, but I did think that he looked very very instrumental. Same what goes th- what sorry, on. What, on Shakiri, what I thought was pretty telling was he wasn't down that right side very much at all it seemed to me it seemed like uh, Mam Juf was trusted to get up and down that right hand channel Shakiri would be there sometimes but Shakiri would often drift inside drop deep you know do just kind of just keep the play ticking over just float about the pitch like he he did some nice passing with with Fletcher and Allen at times I thought he just kind of kept the play moving kept us going in possession and so and there was moments of you know just brilliance from Shaq where he just he doesn't look like he's got any option but then he (laughs) you know Cruyff turns two players and stuff like that and we'll we'll go on to the uh, forward three in a minute okay well I was I was gonna say about the forward three that I think tactically as well we're not seeing the wide players play as as wide men, they are no. cutting inside. We are sitting a lot more narrow, and that that I think has worked to our benefit because, um, whilst we are finding space out wide to cut in, and we saw that um with uh Tupor Moting's chance early on in the game where it was just a simple ball over the top, um, they are also, I mean Tupor Moting seemed yesterday to me just seemed like he was everywhere. He was just pressing and pressing and pressing, and it, 
we've we've spoken a lot about fluidity in the, in this in this season of the podcast, but it just seems that we are. I don't know. I tell you what, this is this is when when me when I used to be a season ticket holder with my mum. Our, our major complaint with Stoke was that we were rubbish at winning the second ball, that it would go mm. long and we'd head it and it'd go to another player. I'm not seeing that as much now. I'm seeing us much more in control of the ball. And that's, I don't know, is is it as simple as we're just a lot better at controlling things? I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I'd agree. We're definitely, we look more assured as an outfit. And we, yeah, they, they, there's not, there's not a kind of pressure on the forward three when they get the ball to have to create something straight away. I think the crowd is kind of allowing us to make mistakes, particularly against Arsenal and Man United. We know that will happen. But I think we've we've just kind of got a bit more freedom about it. I think the the front three we have uh, is is good for that fluidity. It's, it is exciting. They can create things. Um, the The kind of order of that front three is kind of is a difficult debate though. So we've had a question from uh, Sean Brassington on Twitter who says, what do you think about Moting being our permanent striker up top on his own? So the middle of the three. Early days, but he does look like a good all-round player. Now, personally, I think, uh, of course, Moting played on the left-hand side of the three yesterday. And I think that's that's it. That's where he should play because... Um, now you you can argue he scored two goals ergo our best finisher so he should be down the middle but I don't think certainly on the games we've seen so far that he is suited to down the middle I don't think he was very effective doing that against West Brom or Arsenal particularly I think he's been at his most effective when he's been moved that wide so that leaves Hesse down the middle which I didn't think Hesse had a particularly strong game yesterday that I mean, there there were a couple of moments from him, but uh, I mean, obviously David De Gea's wonder save has you know prevented a certain goal, but um, it it that that's the only kind of question I'd have really is yeah. is Hesse the middle of the three? <laughs> I mean, what, what what do you think? It's it's interesting because I wouldn't say that Chupa Moting, Hesse, or Shakiri are suited for that front. Uh, centre no. forward role we've, we've, uh, which we've got all... three wingers <laughs> well that's it and it almost makes me think that perhaps it's going to be oh god people won't like it but perhaps we don't need that out and out striker in the system if if Chupamoting, Hesse and Shakiri are all willing to intertwine and move around mm. and I mean Chupamoting yesterday he didn't play as an out and out striker but he got in that nice position for the first goal um Perhaps it doesn't need to be as clear cut as a recognised striker. Are, Maybe are you, that's. Are you, me- are you suggesting, Chris, that we that we uh, utilise Hesse as a false nine? Oh, what? No, that's crazy. Uh, we're bringing uh, back the glory days of the December two thousand and fifteen, Let- where we just looked so amazing with the false nine. <laughs> it's coming back. Maybe, maybe. I just, I just think that with with the the front three as it's it's i mean it's foot we've spoke about this before but football as it is now your out and out striker is much more of a a rarer thing maybe and and you are getting a lot more of these people who are just regarded as a forward who can play in any of those positions behind the striker left wing center attacking mid right wing if we have three of those and they're good and they can interchange and one of them will, you know, they'll make the runs off one another. I, don't, I mean, I really don't know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's very, you, you kind of can get too kind of yeah. um, tactically what I, wanky about this thing. Yes. <laughs> you, what you I would, can, what I would, on. what I would say is, out of the three, I prefer Shakiri to be more withdrawn and dictating play behind, yes. further back because I think that has worked for him. So whether that means cheaper moting or Hesse make runs, um, I'm, I'm I'm not really bothered as long as they keep playing as they are. I don't think that one of them as a centre forward is particularly a strength of theirs, but mm. I mean it's it's 
it, it will get there. It's fine. I think more the, more the issue is creating the chances rather than someone getting on the end of it. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. Um, and, I mean, that's been a complaint for a while, has been creating chances. But, of course, we've got to... I think we've got to give it time, certainly. Certainly these these three we have to give time to. Um, Saido Berahino, I, I st- I, I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm kind of more optimistic about him in this in this system than I am than I was last season about him. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what we kind of do uh, with the attacking players against these lesser sides and see what chances we create there and, and see who is suited to what role. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about just some of the other players uh, who, who played yesterday. Some just terrific performances across the park. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of you can kind of point to every player and say and point to great things they did. Uh, so we'll start with Jack Butland. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, Gareth Southgate, mate, just give your head a wobble. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a goalie! What I mean. We've been lucky at Stoke down the years with our quality of goalkeepers, I think. We've had Begovic, Sorensen, like even Simonson in the Championship was quality, but you know, historically, Shilton, Banks, etc. So, where do you begin with Jack Butland? What a, what a player. He's, he's without doubt England's number one. And if he isn't going into the World Cup next year, the player who plays for England, then I think, <laughs> I think people will seriously question Gareth Southgate because um, he's he's an absolutely phenomenal player, absolutely bloody fantastic. And yeah, he, I mean that save he made from Rashford, where it's just fingertip save, just mm. pushes it away, like absolutely superb um, reflexes from him. Um, yeah, super Both... super player. I don't know what we'd do without him. <laughs> Both that and the Zuma save right at the end. Both times he must have seen them late because yeah. it, Rashford's I thought was pretty well disguised and it's going right into that corner and Zuma's like he can't have been expecting it to bounce off Kurt Zuma and have to dig it out like that. But just yeah. so good. And as I mentioned, De Gea at the other end. I mean yeah. that that's an unbelievable save. It's one of those where you just <laughs> you're out of the ground and you just cannot work out how it's not gone in. Oh yeah, um, he's he's a cracking player. Like that, the one thing I would say that yesterday, I don't think the goalkeepers were cold on that much, but when they were, they yeah. they are both top notch players, and it's almost a shame that they both conceded too because they mm. they are just really good. Like I can't help but like David de Gea as a goalkeeper. Yeah, um, I w- want to talk about the wing backs yesterday because I thought both played really really well. Um, question we had in. Uh, from SEFC Mill on Twitter. Thoughts on how Peters and Juve have started in wing-back roles. Do we still need first-choice players in those positions? And I don't want to talk about, oh, how we need a wing-back <laughs> again. Because the transfer window's closed now. We're not getting any. So, um, Mam Juve, I just love Mam Juve so much. I think he might be my favourite person in the world. <laughs> I think I think he should be Prime Minister. Oh, Just what, what a guy. Just nothing but a hundred percent every single bloody game, and he just there's been no complaints with him. There's been no indication that he's unhappy in that position. He's just just having an absolute great time. Like I said, just bombing up and down that right side. Look, assist for the first goal. Mm-hmm. You a just, lovely assist as well. Yeah, lovely assist. Slashed across that eighteen yard mm-hmm. box. Eric I think. Peters, I'll, uh, we, I'll, and, uh, go I was going to say with Juve, I think that it's just. It's clear you can just see him each game growing more and more into that role, which will happen the more he plays it. He's, yeah, he he's. I want to say he'd surprise me, but when he first played in that role, he did really, really well. So, no, absolutely fantastic. I think what we're going to go on to is Eric Peters, and actually, he's the one who surprised me the most in the game yesterday because he put in. It was his cross to Hesse that David de Gea saved, wasn't yeah. it? And that like. I mean, Eric Peters doesn't cross. That's not that's not possible. I think um, his crossing is is improved by at least ten to fifteen percent this season. <laughs> he, he, he's still hitting a, a fair portion into the stands, but I think he's getting perhaps one or two more a game in the right areas. So, uh, but there there is there are some people around me who really have it in for Eric Peters. Um, 
and every wayward cross will uh, provoke a barrage of abuse. Um, and I, I get as frustrated with Eric Peters's crossing as anyone else, but I thought he just absolutely epitomised what we were about yesterday. Mm-hmm. He just absolutely... There was there was an occasion where he was our furthest player forward, and yes. then shortly after he was our furthest player back, mm-hmm. he just charged up and down. Um, and, you know, that same Mamadou thing of just, like, getting on with your job, being committed, just... And that would have been a tough afternoon because Man United's wide players are good. You know, their, their full-backs are bl- really pretty bloody good. So, terrific. I mean, the back... Uh, back line, we've talked about how much we love Zuma. Vimish slotted in very well. Uh, thought Fletcher played well again. Yeah, yeah. Just... I mean, I, 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 gen- I mean, the first half, I thought it was one of Fletcher's weakest games for us. I didn't think he was that pass to due for side. I don't think he'd had that good a game. But it was again second half, grew into it, and yeah, like I can't help but be impressed by Darren Fletcher. He's he's been. <laughs> really good signing so far so yeah like really agree um okay we're gonna have to stop agreeing with each other so much but it, it's hard when we, when we're just so good and we, we're just all happy about <laughs> it um joe allen i really like joe allen yesterday save for the incident which led up to man united's second goal where he just seemed to give up i don't just seem mm. to be very bizarre but otherwise i mean you've got to give credit to allen and fletcher because yeah you said uh, Fletcher didn't perhaps have his finest game, but if you look at that Man United midfield and how limited they were, I mean, bloody hell, Pogba, just complete crap, wasn't he? He was just <laughs> so terrible. And I'm not one of those like people who just have a bash at Pogba because of his transfer fee, but he was proper bad. Herrera was pretty awful as well. And Matic, Matic you know, did not have a big impact on the game. And that's down to... Hughes's tactics and Fletcher and Allen doing their jobs effectively. So, yeah, just good. God, God, it's, it feels like we've won, doesn't it? Because just yes. the, the nature of it. And ooh, um, <laughs> question here: Seriously, what is it with Mark Hughes and handshakes? <laughs> oh dear me! There's so much drama, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, personally. I I think it's more just Jose Mourinho and his let's make a small controversy so that uh, it deflects away from the fact that my team have drawn, which he, mm. he's a specialist at doing that. He likes to take away from the team's shortcomings by creating a little controversy himself. So it's just funny, isn't it? It's just he's, very he's, funny. He's just an arse. And you know, the, the media will, <laughs> will fall for it every single time. They he, He'll have a bad result. He'll make up some complete horseshit about, oh, the grass is too long, Stoke defended too well, Mark Hughes' technical area was too expansive, and <laughs> the media go, oh, that's interesting, Jose. Maybe we should write about this issue for the next week. In the in the meantime, we don't write about how, how Pogba was completely useless, yeah. and Phil Jones... Oh, <laughs> Phil, Phil Jones, Jones fell over. <laughs> he, he, he fell. Oh. He fell over. It was well funny. That was he. Like yeah, him falling over for that for our second goal. Like God, you don't. If if I'm Phil Jones, I don't want to keep seeing that goal because that was shambolic defending on his part. Yeah, uh, and and I loved uh, the the fact that a that goal followed the De Gea save. So straight away we'd we'd kind of got that out of our minds, and it was Shakiri floated a set piece in and it went on someone's head and it went in the goal <laughs> we scored a corner like, yeah how funny, how funny is that what's going on what have well, we done with the real stoke it's funny because Mourinho in the week had like said that well we know what stoke are like they're powerful and strong at set pieces and everyone like myself included like you you've not watched this in several years have you like <laughs> no wonder like you, you struggle against us in recent mm. years like you're thinking you're playing tony pulis but then we score from a uh, a set piece, and goodness me, that is funny. Yes. Uh, right, before we move on, we'll have uh, something of an intermission now. Uh, first off, we've got Jason Martin delivering a report on how the Academy are getting on. And then we'll have uh, James Knowles of various Stoke establishments uh, delivering an update on the Stoke City ladies team. 
Hi guys, Jace here, and welcome to The Kids Are Alright, a feature where we briefly summarise the news and results of the under-18 and under-23 academy sites. We start off by congratulating Harry Sutar and Thibaut Verlinden for making their first team debuts in the 4-0 Carabao Cup at home to Rochdale. Here's hoping it's the first of many appearances for both of them. Alongside this, there may have been a lack of football over the international break, but Stoke saw no less than six of its young potters called up for international duty across under-18 and under-23 squad levels. Jake Dunwoody, Luis De Silva, Chris Tavasareto, Max Murphy, Nathan Collins and Joe Bursick all got call-ups to their respective sides. Stoke's summer arrival from AFC Wimbledon, Bursick's now made his step up from England under-17s to under-18s. Here's hoping we have a new Jack Butland in the making. Aside from this, it was quite a disappointing deadline day for Stoke's youth sides, as plenty of youngsters missed out on loan moves to the Football League and non-league sides. Here's hoping that the busy fixture period in their respective leagues and youth cups along the che- alongside the Checker Trade Trophy will help continue their development until the window reopens in January. We saw some really good loan moves last season with the likes of Oli Shenton going to Wrexham, and fingers crossed we can get that underway again. On to results then, and the main talking point over the last few weeks has to be the hard-fought 1-0 defeat in the Checker Trade Trophy. Stokes under-21s, alongside Jakob Howgard and Charlie Adam, showed a spirited display against League One side Blackburn Rovers. Despite missing key men such as Tom Edwards, Thibaut Verlinden and Julian Ngoy, Stokes under-21s can be pleased with the initial performance. Away from this, a 10-man under-23 Stokes side won away 2-1 at Aston Villa, with Mark Waddington and Tyrese Campbell on the score sheet. This was followed up by a 2-0 away defeat to Norwich City, leaving Stoke with one win and two defeats in August. Stoke's under-23s will face Wolves next at the Bet365 Stadium on Sunday the 10th, which could well be the time of this podcast, before tricky away trips to Southampton and Middlesbrough later in the month. The under-18s suffered a narrow 2-1 defeat to Manchester United at the end of August, with one point from three games to start the season. September provides a good challenge for the side, and they've started well, um, They've drawn two all against Liverpool at the time of recording. Jordan Greenidge and summer rival Torre helped Stoke to level twice against the 10-man Liverpool side. The under-18s will now face Sunderland away next before a tricky home fixture to a promising West Brom under-18s side at the end of the month. As always, highlights of the academy matches are, are available on Stoke City Plus, so you can see the stars of tomorrow with your own eyes. That's all for now. We'll see you in October. It's fair to say it's not been an ideal start for Stoke City ladies. They've lost two out of two in the league, but there was a morale-boosting win in the FA Women's Premier League Cup last weekend. 3-1 at Morecambe, Hannah Keriopoulos with a brace and Jamila Palmer scoring. It was tipping it down in Lancashire, but at the same time it was raining at Community Drive. Raining goals, that is. 7-0 the reserves won in their opening match as they looked to defend their title. They beat Nottingham Forest. Some kind of retribution for that 6-0 defeat for the men's team at the city ground, perhaps. And there was another victory for the newly formed development team. They've now won three out of three at the start of the season. They've scored 39 goals and haven't conceded one yet. There was a special guest in training on Wednesday. England's Cricket World Cup winner Danny Wyatt putting on the boots. And she was pretty handy. Although I have to say that being part of a team that tours the world probably means that she made the right decision to choose cricket over football. This weekend, the first team travelled to West Bromwich Albion, a fixture that is notoriously feisty, but a fixture that Stoke City will be earmarking to pick up their first points of the league campaign. Are you, was your thing still recording? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, thanks very much, guys. Uh, just as a bit of an, a bit of a, a addition to those reports. Uh, today, Stoke City under-23s beat Wolverhampton Wanderers 1-0. And the Stoke City ladies won 5-0 at West Brom in the FA Women's Premier League. So, Yeah, take that, West Brom. Boom. We've just smashed be, up the black country. You should be disappointed. You, you should never show your faces again. <laughs> bit harsh, Chris. Yeah, yeah. You're just getting a bit carried away there. Um <laughs> And uh, the second part of our intermission, if if you like, is a conversation I had with Brian Darling, who has written a book called Glory Hunter about his life following Stoke City. 
here that is. I had an idea ages ago when I was working and didn't have time to do anything like write a book, which is more complicated than I ever thought, really. But uh, and you know, having been following a club for so many years across five decades, you know, felt I had a few stories I might pull together. And I guess once you eventually get the time to um, to put these things down, you know, I reckon I had enough material to, to think about recording it. And then, of course, it's there forever. So I thought that would be good, and I had the time. So um, that was great. And I guess for me. I didn't just want it to be a collection of match reports because, you know, I might have got some of the things wrong in some of the things I'd said. They were just my view from sometimes an obscured view I had of the game. Um, but also, I, I kind of followed a little bit of um, my path through and I was lucky enough to work in a couple of banks who um, decided they would sponsor the football leagues, which was really kind of handy and got me to a few places I might not have gone before. So... After all that and managing to, you know, stick it down on paper, uh, I guess I wanted to make sure it, it got to the widest audience possible. And so, therefore, hooking up with a charity, not only to, so that, you know, we can make a bit of money for a really worthwhile cause, but actually, you know, add to the appeal, I suppose, um, has meant so far that, you know, I've been able to um, distribute more copies than I thought I ever would. And it's brilliant. I'm really, really chuffed about it. Yeah, so... Um... If you talk a bit about the charity, then it's the Macquarie Foundation, uh, the Macquarie Centre. Sorry, um, how did you uh, get involved with them? Yeah, well, you know, obviously I was interested in uh, um, adding that dimension so that it did have an appeal, even for people who might not want to buy the book, they might still buy it because it was investing in a good cause, and it definitely is. Uh, and of course, you know, anyone who reads the book and knows me will know that. Through the period I've been supporting this club, uh, it's not always been great. The last 10 years have been, you know, wonderful and unexpected to a degree. Um, but when Lou was there and in charge, you know, I call him in the book Messiah. And, you know, to a degree, was and the business he transacted, bringing the likes of Mark Steen and, and Sharon to, to our club for, you know, for nothing, basically. It was just remarkable. So to be able to hook up with his local charity... Um, doing some fantastic things and then obviously of course I've spent a little bit of time with him which has you know just been amazing to be honest he's been brilliant and he's signing loads of books and wants to help in any way he can so it just kind of fell together and it, it gave me the opportunity to hopefully move on a load of books to people who might read it but equally to raise a bit of cash and so far you know, I visited Lou a week or so ago and, and gave him a check for £500. And, you know, I want to do that again a few more times. So, you know, it's fantastic, really, to be able to combine the two. Fantastic, yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, I, I know you do explain this in the book, but uh, could you, uh, there might be a few people a bit confused. The book the book is Glory Hunter. Um, why, why that title for a book about Stoke City? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is it's meant to be a, a question that hopefully will provoke that kind of response, which gives me a chance to explain it. Uh, and look, when I when I started supporting the club, I was a bit of a glory hunter. Uh, Stoke City were fantastic. You know, we had Peter Shilton in goal and Jimmy Green off and Alan Hudson knocking around in the middle of the pitch and up top. And it was just amazing. And I thought I would be on a journey of, yeah, glory hunting and seeing lots of massive success in Europe and domestically, um, which, of course, after about 12 or 18 months, didn't work out that way. And so it's um, it's a bit uh, ironic, I suppose, that I kind of was a glory hunter originally, but then, you know, spent about 40 years paying for that. So um, I reckon I've earned a few years we've had in the Premier League and, and I enjoy every single time. But, yeah, it goes a great chance to... Um, tell the story and uh felt like a good time for a book uh what have been the kind of biggest changes for you i, I mean i've i'm kind of halfway through the book and uh you write very well about how the the experience of going to your first game i mean is that kind of enthusiasm for f- football that kind of uh love of it still there or, or have you become more cynical about it or is it just something that that's changed yeah, it's a really good question because, you know, I didn't think things would have changed in quite in the way they have, and they will again. But 
and you'll see that as you get towards the end of the book. But you know, when when I was visiting the Victoria Ground and the the times that I and a load of my friends have had, you know, standing on the booth and end in terraces all over the place, really, uh, was quite unique. And that's that doesn't exist anymore. Not like that. And, and I felt I would miss that more than I actually do, although I do still miss it, actually. Um, and so, yeah, I think for some of the more recent years, being in the Premier League for 10 seasons and, you know, couldn't have dreamt of it, really, uh, I, I kind of felt over the last two or three years, it did go, not stale, but maybe the expectation we got a bit comfy. And I have to say that I would have answered that question differently if you'd asked me at, at the end of last season. But... Mm seeing some of these home performances and the way in which the crowd have really played their part again and we do have a job and I think recognise that the club we're part of the reason for staying in this league and why we've got a part to play you know I feel really renewed and invigorated about it so for me it's a brilliant time to be talking about the book because it feels like um, we've we've kind of recaptured some of that old spirit which is just vital and brilliant to see again like on you know yesterday was marvelous and you can probably still hear i'm a bit hoarse because <laughs> it was just a, a wonderful game yeah absolutely um uh, finally then uh where can people uh find the book buy the book uh by all means plug away yeah well look it's really easy because it's available everywhere and you know i've, I've sent copies to australia and america and denmark and germany uh for guys who contacted me direct either through the OK um, uh, message board or through LinkedIn or Facebook and it's on Amazon and Kindle and all that stuff. But the, you know, because Lou has been so brilliant and signed a load of copies for me, I've still got a couple of hundred now uh, and spent a, a couple of very nice hours with him when he was doing that. Um, you know, if people contact me direct on my email, which is brianwdarling at iCloud.com, uh, then I can just arrange with that person to send them a signed Lou Macari copy, which is probably better than anyone you'll get a copy from anywhere else. And, you know, it's the best place to do it. But you know what? If someone wants an electronic copy and does it through Amazon on Kindle or, or just a paper copy from that source, I don't mind as long as it, it kind of gets out there. But it's very generally available. And, um, you know, if need be, I'll print some more copies and get Lou to sign them because he's been brilliant. And we'll carry it on. Right, we're back. Uh, Chris, uh, in this season of heroes, as you as you dubbed it, uh, who was your hero of the week this week? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I'm going to have to go for Mr. Chupa Moting himself, just because two goals, one fantastic dance. Um, he's... I don't know, like, he's coming. We need I to talk have, about the dance, really. We do need to talk about it. Let's, yeah... Like he he's come coming to this team. I don't think there was too much of an expectation, at least not from me. Um and yeah, he just he just seems like a bloody lovely bloke. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, him him and Zuma, they just seem so happy and yes. I don't know where that friendship's come from because they 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 don't have any kind of prior history of playing together, but just like oh just they everyone seems to be mates and it's all nice. Yes. I mean, who could possibly find anything not to like in two footballers having a little dance when they've scored a goal. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. Hang on. This is Mike Parry of TalkSport who tweeted. Uh, what was the tweet, Chris? He he said, ridiculous and embarrassing Stoke goal celebration. It's not a circus. Should be banned. <laughs> Should be banned. Should be banned. Bless I mean, him. what a miserable existence you know. must have. Like... Everyone complains, it's, don't they? Like the the footballers of today, they, they they're not allowed to show any personality, you know. It's, and yeah. it's just so. I I feel like he's he's a bit of a a parody of himself, Mike Parry. He's just <laughs> he's just a complete weirdo. Now, my my favourite Mike Parry tweets. This is a guy from Talksport. If you've never heard of him, <laughs> um, he tweeted um, after Daniel Craig was spotted at Anfield. Oh, in the God. Liverpool end. Oh, God. Uh, the actor Daniel Craig of James Bond, <laughs> of course, like, was supporting Liverpool at a football match. 
And he said, absolutely disgraceful that James Bond has come out as a copite. 007 belongs to this nation, not one football club. What? What? <laughs> like, oh, it's almost like Mike Parry sends controversial tweets so people will try and listen to his show. Weird, that, isn't it? Okay, then, a couple of things before we go. Um, obviously, a good start to the season for Stoke. Five points from those pretty tough four games. Have you kind of revised your expectations for the season based on them? Uh, no. No, I'm not at that stage yet where I think that we are going to be, I don't know, challenging for top seven or whatever. I still would like to see us in that mid middle battle. Um my, I still think we will have a rough patch at some point this season. That is to be expected uh, from a team like Stoke. What I am happy to th- say is that I don't, there are some real dross in this league, <laughs> and I think we are better than them. Um, I mean, if you've watched Palace play, oh my gosh, they are not good at all. Um, so I, I, I think we, I don't think we'll be in a relegation battle. I think we will be fighting in that right part of the table where we want to fight. Um. I suppose where we finish there will be um, um, whether we can go on a decent run of wins at some point. Um, but I'm I'm definitely a lot more confident about where the team in general is heading um, compared to where I was at the well when the season started. Um, yeah, a lot more. I feel a lot more comfortable about Stoke. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of reassured by the fact that I think there are levels we haven't reached yet I mean if if we've got these results with this team which is still at an early stage it still prob- probably hasn't had time to gel in any kind of meaningful way then then fantastic if if this team can can gel and uh, find find a way of playing that isn't more effective than it is now then you know bloody hell we, we could really do something. I yeah, I'm not kind of revising any preseason predictions or anything because that that's the nature of football. I I don't think many of the teams that are down there at the moment will struggle long term. Uh teams like West Ham and stuff. So yeah, it's it's gone it's a long season ahead, but for the first time I think the the sort of season is is kind of fueled optimism where previously was just pessimism and <laughs> and like this, this isn't to have a go at any fan or group of fans or whatever it's just you know football changes and you can you're allowed to change your opinion on it and you're allowed to uh, be negative when we lose and be optimistic when we win because that's football at the end of the day you you can't kind of this this isn't the time to either be self-righteous or continue being miserable. You know, we've just kind of got to just enjoy enjoy these moments of, you know, proper doing Man United out of three points <laughs> they thought they'd get. So it's just, I'm just really chuffed with how the season's started and and how well we've recovered from from losing key players in key areas and stuff. So... Uh, on with, onwards with the season, I suppose. Um, final question from Orphy: uh, Did Mark Hughes brandish the old imaginary yellow card? Is the atmosphere back for good? And do we need to play a centre forward now? The do we need to play a centre forward question kind of caused you to break down a bit earlier, Chris. So uh, <laughs> we won't we won't revisit that. Um, is the atmosphere back for good? Um. I certainly think it's a much improved atmosphere. I think the corner being built has enclosed the ground a bit and the volume is tremendous. I think them playing Delilah before the game gets everyone ramped up. And I think it helps that we've played two teams at home who are big teams. I wonder what it will be like when it comes to playing uh, Burnley or Palace at home. I wonder if it will be the same raucous atmosphere. Um, But... I, I'd like to think that with the team playing positively, fans will be positive and we can try and 
get something going and make the Bet365 Stadium a bit of a bit of a stronghold again. That would be nice. Mm. Certainly. Uh, did Marquis banish the old imagined yellow card? Um, I didn't see one at the ground. Um, but t- to be honest, if he did, he he was pro- he probably had a point. <laughs> um, I know, I know, it's something we kind of don't like is imaginary card waving and stuff. But I'm guilty of it <laughs> when when I'm sat in the in terraces. So, um, yeah, I thought in general the ref was good. He kept his cards in his pocket, and there there was no kind of major controversies in the game at all. So uh, I thought the ref did a good job. And like I said before about Hughes, he seems to have a bit of bit of fight in him, and I like that. He does. So. Yep. Fantastic. Um, that's it from the Wizards of Drivel for this week. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Dave. And to play us out, the man who reached 2,000 games as a commentator yesterday. Go on, Nigel. Stoker going like trains towards the penalty area. Clark's closed down. He's cutting in field. He's going inside left channel. He's putting in his cross. That's a good one. O'Connor tries to get ahead on it. Brace for Goodyearson. He puts it back. And Stoke have scored! Oh, Stoke have scored! It's James O'Connor who's put Stoke one each. The ball put in by Goodyearson. And James O'Connor has put the ball into the net in the 89th minute. And the Stoke fans are bouncing up and down. McCullerton, Stoke City are in front. Cardiff now. Stoke City won. And it's level pegging. Graham, what's it like in the Britannia? What's it like, Nigel? They're on the pitch. Stanley Clark and O'Connor. O'Connor left. Stanley more central. It's Clark. It's O'Connor. And it's in. It's taken a deflection from James O'Connor's free kick. And the ball's in the net. I think it hit O'Leary. I think it hit O'Leary. It hit O'Leary. It hit O'Leary. The free kick from O'Connor hit Ulare and has gone in the net. And Stoke City, with six minutes remaining, are in the lead as Cardiff try and come back. 2-0 to Stoke, 3-2 on aggregate. As Stoke have got to defend as Cavan is battling to the ball at the byline. Gets it, he's gone. Oh, and Fortune West had a chance at the four post and he's headed wide. Whistle's gone, and Stoke City are through. What a performance from the Potters. 2-0 on the night, 3-2 on aggregate, and the players go over to their six or 700 supporters in that Grange end, and the supporters just cascade forward towards them. What a performance by Goodyear Thordison's men tonight. They can stand proud. Because they've come here into a cauldron at Ninian Park and they have taken a worthy victory that has moved them to the Millennium Stadium.